Today's episode is brought to you by I Live Massage. I-L-I-V Massage. Got stress, sore muscles, anxiety. A visit to Jen is on the table, like literally on the table. She's amazing. She's located at 840 Wapu in Charleston. Her work relieves tension in my body. It leaves me relaxed, revived. I feel totally reset. Jen has 25 years of experience in the field of spa therapy, from detailed neck and shoulder body work, deep tissue, prenatal, and sports massage. Jen customizes each session to her individual client's needs. If you're looking for a deeper detox session, which I always am, because I just love to get all the junk out, Jen offers the Detox Magnesium Sauna Wrap. It was actually inspired by me, so you can thank me. Um, reset your total body and eliminate bloating, inflammation, fatigue, toxins, and so much more with this wrap sauna combo, which finishes with the blend of lymphatic drainage, deep tissue, and sculpting massage techniques. And fun fact, I Live is the only spa in Charleston to offer this. If you have any questions, follow up on Instagram. It's at I-L-I-V Massage Charleston, or find her in the middle of the room at the works behind me always. Use code I Live for 10% off all gift certificates purchased now through 122421. Welcome back to Are You For Real with Sarah Frick. Today, we are chatting with Ashley Lido from Wren. Ashley is in Columbia, so we are chatting on the phone. And thank you so much for being with us today, Ashley. Um, thank you so much for having me. Before we even really introduce you, I would love for you to tell our listeners uh, what Wren is. So, uh, hi, everyone. My name is Ashley Lido. I use she, her pronouns. And um, uh, Wren is a... Uh, nonpartisan nonprofit that is based here in South Carolina. We have no national affiliation. We serve the state of South Carolina and we're a policy and advocacy group with a mission to build a movement for the health, economic well-being and rights of women and girls and gender expansive people here in the state of the S- South Carolina. And we do that through policy work at the South Carolina General Assembly. Sometimes uh, I do lobbying work, so I will lobby at the General Assembly, but also at the local level and federal level when necessary. And we also convene coalitions of folks building partnerships and also mobilizing um, over 40,000 members across the state to take action. That's amazing. That's amazing. So how did REN get started? So REN is five years old. And so um, some of us were working at another nonprofit and uh, we were doing policy work. Um, If any of your listeners live in South Carolina and maybe were part of the Tell Them Network a couple of years ago, primarily been about sexual and reproductive health and rights um, doing that work. And we're really looking at the fact that this state didn't have any specific dedicated organization working on policies that would improve um, gender justice in South Carolina. So that's how um, it became. We have three board members from that nonprofit um, examine that and then build out uh, the team. And so, yeah, we're five years old and we've had some really great successes um, in just that short five years. That's amazing. So yeah. tell us, and when I was talking um, yesterday to my sister-in-law who does, I think she's either donated or worked with you guys a little bit. She, I was like, you know, tell me some things I should ask about or just, you know, just information. And she was speaking a little bit about Anne um, Warner. And, mm-hmm. and and she said that Anne used to live in DC and then moved down to take this job. Is that correct? 
Yeah, that is correct. So when um, Ren was getting started, there was a CEO search and and flew down from DC and just wowed everyone. And anybody who's ever uh, met um, Anne or listened to her speak would understand um, why she's really absolutely just dedicated to the cause, but not in a way that's off-putting. She wants everybody to just come in as they are and use all their talents and strengths. So she's a great leader for us to have. That's awesome. I love that. I love women in leadership as well. Um, so let's just like, so let's dive into some of the topics, some of the, um, topics that I I believe that you guys advocate for are equal pay, um, for women Mm -hmm. in the workplace. So can we start with that and just talk about that a little bit? And I know that you probably have statistics and numbers and all that kind of stuff. So I'd love to just for our listeners and for me too, to hear and learn. Yeah, so I'll make sure that uh, your listeners have a good framing of uh, Ren's focus area. So I said we we really want to improve gender justice in the state, but we, as we look at policies to take on and lead here in the state, we look at two primary functions, economic dignity and justice and reproductive freedom. So equal pay falls within that economic dignity and justice bucket area. And uh, South Carolina uh, is one of the few states that doesn't have an explicit equal pay law on the books. We do have stuff within statute that will cover you and the federal law will cover you, but it has such a large loophole that um, many industries skirt around it. And there's also many policies that are not in place that help mitigate um, the wage gap um, that aren't here in South Carolina. So we work to try to not only push policies at the state house. So we have um, two bills, House and Senate bills um, that are trying to directly address the loopholes that are present in current law that would cause wage inequities. Can you tell us what also, those loopholes are? Or I'm like, is yeah. this like an FBI conversation? I don't know. If I ask <laughs> something not. I'm not supposed to, tell me to be quiet. <laughs> no, it's not an FBI. So it's one of those things where it's written in a way that it's um, not specific enough. If I'm trying to make sure that I'm saying it um, not too legal jargon. Yes, that makes sense what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, but it, it, the federal law leaves too much room for someone in an industry to say, well, your job title is coordinator and that other person is associate. Got it. And that's why you're being paid differently. Our bill directly states that you, if you are doing similar, um, a, a similar job function, skill, effort, and responsibility need to be the factors that create your pay. And a great example of that is um, cleaners versus janitors and where females versus males typically fall in, even in those category, like categories. Mm-hmm. And they are doing the same well functionally, their day-to-day looks the same. They, they have to have a certain amount of weight requirements, like caring, they're dealing with a certain type of um, like spills and uh, equipment that they have to operate, the hours that they're working, all of those, the education level they have to have. But right now, a industry could definitely get away with, well, they're in the janitor category. Janitor category is 15 to $20 an hour and you're um, the school cleaner Like they can just, even the name only can do it. So it's um, just making sure that there's clarity that the position really needs to be based on skill, effort, responsibility. Um, So it shouldn't be too much of a shift for folks, Mm -hmm. but it would make a very big difference um, to be able to address pay inequities. And then the bill also does things that are um, kind of preventative measures for closing the wage gap. So those things are transparency. And 
go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and do people fight back on that? On which part? On on saying <laughs> oh, like everything you just said yes, to me makes all of it. <laughs> you're like yes, because yes. what you just said to me like that was a beautiful way to explain it. Thank you, and and that makes so much sense. And is and again, like I said, I'm just going to ask questions. Like, is yeah. that you think is that to save money or do is that more viewed as people against women or people against you know how does how what does that all look like? It does take, it takes work. How about that? To set up a standard where you're really doing a strong analysis of skill, effort, and responsibility requires you to do work and maintain that throughout all of your hiring practices. And, Mm -hmm. um, and it's upfront work. Once you've got it in place, it uh, should be just something that you're kind of just plugging into it's standard practice. You're running yourself through filters, but a lot of folks are used to doing business a certain way. And so when you ask them to make the adjustment, that is where I feel like you, that the gap is there where they feel like it's unattainable to go that direction. Right. When those of us who've done it, so Ren has done an internal pay audit and ensured that we have a like actual equitable pay structure status, um, with salary ranges and all of the ways that we do hiring, like has a structure. And once we have that in place, We've been able to run through all of our new hires the way that we even do promotions or performance reviews through that structure. Mm-hmm. It's actually easier in the long run yeah. <laughs> and more equitable. So it's good for us as a business and it's good for the people that work for us. Yes. Um, and so it's it's just one of those things of marrying the fact that it's some, hey, industry folks, we are asking you to potentially take a couple steps but those little steps are actually going to make you go leaps forward in ensuring that your workforce is equitable. And if your workforce becomes more equitable, it'd be more attractive. And so you're actually going to have a m- more robust product. Whatever you're doing, you, you're going to have better outcomes. Yes. Um, and so that's what we do as an organization. So we do policy work and have the bills, but we also speak with industry leaders um, and bring them data and then also try to bring them solutions to show them, like, join us in this fight. We know if your workplace is more equitable, it is going to be better for all of us. Right. Like, let's do it. Um, so we're constantly having those conversations. And when you say you bring, so you guys will bring the actual policy to the state house? We work with partners. So I'm a I always joke that I'm not a lawyer, but I play one on TV. Got it. <laughs> I have a master's <laughs> in public health. Um, so I'm great at analyzing, um, policy and telling you the implications on large populations. Um, but I work with amazing partners where we, um, and we understand what's going on here in South Carolina, like what people need. So we'll work with partners who do direct service that they're hearing directly from people in the workforce, people in their communities. Um, we'll have all those conversations and kind of build out, okay, we're hearing you. This is what you need. You need to be paid more. Well, some of that is the wage gap. You need to be paid for what the same as your colleague. Okay, let's work with folks who are experts in the legal landscape. So employment lawyers here in South Carolina, employment lawyers at the national level, craft legislation. Let's bring it to the state house and have some amazing champions in the legislature shepherd that through. So right. we don't ever do anything by ourselves. I always make sure that people understand that. Like 
Ren, we are an amazing org. And the reason we're amazing is because we have such a large network of partnerships and network members. Like we are nothing without all of those pieces. Right. And so that's how we do it. But yes, we lead the charge. We're not just, I'm not just passively watching bills come through our desk. Right. We are actively engaging in the conversations in finding out what communities need in trying to make sure those community voices go right in front of those decision makers and just actively always looking for solutions. Awesome. Um, so I, so just moving from there, um, touching on reproductive rights, not touching on it. Like I'd like to talk about it actually. Um, (laughs) so I know right now there's a lot of conversation around reproductive rights and I just, could you talk a little bit about where you guys stand on it as well as what your, I don't know if you can give me your personal opinion, but where, what, how, what's happening? Tell us what's happening. Somebody that makes sense, please. (laughs) (laughs) Tell tell us what's happening. Right now is a critical moment in um, reproductive rights because the Supreme Court is uh, had just heard oral arguments on um, the case that came out of Mississippi. That was a 15 week abortion ban uh, moved through the full court system. And then the Supreme Court um, actually accepted that they would hear oral arguments on the case of whether or not that law could stand. Um, and that's a big can deal. You, and, and just yeah. for our listeners, maybe that don't know about that, will you? Can you tell a little bit about the what happened in Mississippi? Um, so they uh, passed a uh, an abortion ban that would ban abortions after the fifteenth week of uh, pregnancy, and so we consider that uh, a gestational ban, and that is fifteen weeks is what. Um, you would call a pre-viability ban. And mm-hmm. that's it, that that phrasing is important. I will make sure your listeners know that viability as a standard isn't a medical term because um, every pregnancy is very different. So, but viability is what uh, the legal standard has become out of Roe. So if people understand Roe v. Wade, the tenant of Roe v. Wade is that you cannot ban abortion prior to viability. So when a fetus can live outside of a person who's pregnant. And what is viability still 24 weeks? Um, so every pregnancy is different. Okay. So like I said, it's not a medical standard. Got it. So, so some, some, um, fetuses could potentially survive outside of the womb at that point, right. but it is not a guarantee. No. I mean, yeah. You know, there's a lot of things as somebody who has a two year old, there's a lot of things yeah. that can go happen. I had um, and I've my, been through a lot of that. I had my, twins at about 34 and a half weeks. And my daughter was still in the nursery at the hospital for six weeks, you know, so it mm-hmm. is, goes all over the board for sure. Um, yeah. Okay. So about Mississippi, keep going. Okay. So the Mississippi case pre-viability, um, the weeks don't matter. It's really the fact that the Supreme court after 50 years of precedent of this viability standard was willing to listen to Mississippi's reasoning for trying to ban abortion prior to um, viability. And so that's a big signal for all of us that, I mean, we've had decades of assault on reproductive rights. South Carolina is one of the states with the most abortion restrictions on the books, meaning that are in place right now. So abortion restrictions can be things um, like medical misinformation. It could be multiple trips to the clinic, really anything that kind of puts up a roadblock between you and access to care. Mm -hmm. We have the most on the books, Mm. uh, one of the most in, in the country. And so we've been dealing with this for decades, but now we're in this moment where the entire country is watching because 
the largest judicial body in our country has said, we're willing to reexamine whether or not you have this right within our constitution. Um, and it's the right to liberty. It makes me want to cry. I mean, it's just awful in my opinion. Well, <laughs> but a week, I, I feel that too. And I also want you to know that we don't all have to passively let people take things from us. We as a community can always take care of each other. And that's our commitment as Ren and my commitment as like why I do this work right. is whatever happens at the Supreme Court. So they heard oral arguments on December 1st and we potentially will hear we, we will hear their answer to whether or not this will stand um, by June of 22. Mm-hmm. whatever happens, we will still make sure that people get the information they need to try to get the care that they need and always be pushing for better, pushing for access, for understanding that abortion is essential. And so you'll hear um, all of us in the movement uh, for reproductive rights say abortion is essential, but it really is something that like is part of healthcare. Right. <laughs> and, and which also means that people will always need it. They always have needed it. Mm-hmm. And it hasn't always been kind of this push pull tension in this legal framework. If you look at history, the one of the most interesting and sad things is that it was white physician, white male physicians in this country who wanted to take bit, they saw it as a business opportunity mm-hmm. to, to take um, that kind of birthing power. They saw that it was a big money maker birthing and take it away from black midwives. And one of the ways they did that was by controlling, like being the controlling body. It's really interesting. And like the ACLU does a really great job of explaining the history, but that's what I like to also point out to folks is, this hasn't always been tenuous. The different religious uh, organizations all have different views on this. If you're of the Jewish faith, you very much value abortion. They have a, a different viewpoint on when life begins. So all of those kinds of larger conversations, like this is a religious liberties conversation. Mm-hmm. This is an economic justice conversation. This is just a whole bunch of things put together, culminating with um, a scary moment. Yeah, <laughs> I, I agree. I, I, I had... Um... I don't know if it was a year ago. I don't remember, but it was, I think it was one of the times you guys were going and people were coming to speak at the state house, possibly in Columbia. I don't know exactly, but I, um, have my own story as I, um, my husband and I, we lost our first child in early infancy due to a genetic condition that I had that we didn't know we had until she was born. And Mm -hmm. they told me, they're like, go ahead and get pregnant again. You know, it's a 50, 50 chance. And so I got pregnant again, 11 weeks. I did a CVS test, which for those of you that don't know, you can do that before your amnio. They go in, they take, I think some of the placenta or something. And they tested it and the baby was sick again. And we knew I could carry the baby to term and uh, the baby would die. And so I went to Planned Parenthood and had an abortion. And, you know, all I wanted in the world was a baby, but I had the choice and I had the place to go to do it. And I, you know, I know everyone's situation is different. It shouldn't matter why you choose. I, I believe it shouldn't matter why you choose to do it or not. It's none of my business. And, you know, I just, I don't understand. And maybe you can explain this to us, how this is even like there. Like how, how do you, how did it happen? Cause as you said, it's gotten more contentious and clearly our econ, like our political, you know, economy is very contentious as well. I mean, do you think the two relate clearly? 
Well, yeah, the the reason we're seeing it now is because there have been decades of stacking courts and um, we have a previous president who put three um, justices on who have committed in other places that they were going to attempt to be pro what they call pro-life, but they are anti-abortion. Mm-hmm. They're on record in certain places. I mean, we have examples from those justices. So the court... Um, is now primed. They prim- they did a they had a mission and they did it. They primed the courts to be this way, and it's happening in um, all of our elections as well. So you'll see from polling, like just understanding the populace, that the majority of folks actually support abortion in the United States and here in South Carolina. All of that polling is consistent. Mm-hmm. Folks do not want abortion to go away. They understand um, that is part of healthcare necessity. Um, and even in some of those nuanced conversations, like once you explain something, because healthcare is difficult, we're not all doctors, but once you explain to everyday people what people need, they're like all in for it. Yeah. So there's never been a wavering of the population of that this needs to happen. What's been happening is that we have political environments that don't allow the people's voice to be what's dominating the Mm decision-making. So we all, as we're looking at this moment, and if you are a person who is looking at some of these conversations, especially reproductive rights, um, or potentially if you really care about public education, any of those moments, you're watching the dialogue right now, you need to also be watching what we're doing with voting rights. We're in redistricting right now here in South Carolina. You need to be watching how they're drawing these district lines. Mm-hmm. You need to be listening to the way that they made these decisions because it is setting themselves up for um, control and domination for yet again another 10 years of um, control in this manner where you would go to vote, but because it's stacked in a certain way that it, you're, it's harder to get your voice heard right. because they have stacked it in their favor. So it's one of those things where all of us working on the different issues are are united and should continue to be vocal and united on all the issues because they all relate to each other. So Right. Yeah. And that kind of brings me to my next question or, you know, and like I said, you know, I'm an, I'm an emotional like it's uh, clearly you're very well educated in this and you know, I, I'm always, I'm like an, an emotional watching this from an emotional standpoint, I guess. And, um, you know, my, I, I was speaking with a friend of mine, actually my, our producer Lindsay before about this. Um, and I hope that's okay. I said that Lindsay, um, it wasn't about bad things. I won't tell anyone that story. Just kidding. <laughs> um, but I was speak, we were speaking before about how this seems, you know, very, um, systemic, you know, a way to hold certain communities down because, you know, if, if somebody has a lot of money or access to certain things, then they're going to get it no matter what. Does that a conversation that has been spoken about? Um, it's definitely spoken about, about who is most impacted by uh, abortion bans. Um, it is um, black uh, people, people of color, people with low incomes, rural uh, folks who live in rural areas. And there is an amazing study, longevity study that was done it's called a turnaway study. And they looked at um, po- lots of different outcomes from being denied an abortion. Um, what, like if you couldn't access it and you just had to continue on with your pregnancy. And those who did not have access to abortion were more likely to end up in poverty. Mm. So it is all interrelated and documented that it this will happen, is that the folks that cannot access 
are more likely to fall deeper into poverty and not able to access. I mean, economic issues really push you back in all of our society because if folks kind of take for granted when they have um, access to $500, if you have a medical emergency, right? like being able to pay that bill right. is something that you make a decision before <clears throat> you go to the ER. Right. Absolutely. How much is this going to cost? That's a life or death thing. Mm-hmm. So having to continue a pregnancy and falling deep into, deeper into poverty when we don't have policies that support people who have children, at, you are you are pushing them further back on all of the aspects of their life. And that's not their fault. Right. That's a that's a policy choice that our politicians are making. And it is harming our communities, which is why Ren and our work, like why I feel like our work is so important, why I hope other people feel like it's so important, is to push back so that we're doing policies that actually are improving the community and supporting people in their everyday lives so they can thrive and just be, just be happy yeah, <laughs> and not struggling. And yeah, I'm an emotional person too. So I do this work because yeah. not just because I know it's like the right thing on paper with data and all those things, but this is my life too. Yeah, totally. So yeah, absolutely. I need absolutely. to be respected and have dignity and I want other people to have that. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I don't know this question. So I, some people sent us some questions, so I'm just kind of filtering few through a few oh, of them as well. But um, and, and I think you kind of already answered this, but one woman asked, how does the Republican um, supermajority affect abortion rights? And I think you kind of answered that, um, but maybe just readdress that. Um, it makes it uh, a lot easier for the, when, when, they f- when certain people in power feel that a policy needs to pass for political gain, mm-hmm. it greases the wheels. Got it. So that's what's so difficult is that I, we are nonpartisan and we work across the aisle. Like we're about good policy. Yep. So we're always asking everybody and also pushing back against bad policy and having conversations with everybody about why a policy is bad. Right. And I'll have these amazing conversations where they agree and they understand. And then, but also um, they're so deeply entrenched in kind of the red meat politics. They're worried about primaries. They're worried about the people who turn out to vote. They worry about who's going to fund a campaign against them Mm -hmm. so much that that is what gets in the way of good policies moving forward and bad policies coming through. So the supermajority just makes it more emboldened. Um, And so I've watched that caucus move more towards the place where it just doesn't seem reasonable. Like I I don't feel there's a lot of moderate middle left left over in the caucus. And even if they are there, they're too afraid um, to take a stand because they're now in the minority of a larger caucus. Totally. And and I mean, yeah. as someone who doesn't understand it as deeply as you do, I feel that. I think we all feel that, you know? It's, we do. It, it's so like intense and it's so it, it, like, I don't know if volatile is the right word, but it's just, it's, there is just a lot connected to everything that has to do with p- politics and all these different things. And, you know, I guess... Another question that I know personally, like, so we're talking about, we were talking about Mississippi, but is this like, will this be something that could affect every state or is it go state by state or how does that work? So in thinking about what's going on in the Supreme Court and what they're going to do in the specific Mississippi case, we are also looking, looking at what their answer is to the case. And that's how all of the, that, that's going to set potentially new precedent for every court that looks at an abortion restriction. 
on what what the new standard is. Got it. So if that if that's helpful, because like I mentioned earlier, we're looking at a viability standard. So if they allow for a pre viability um, ban to go through, then that means South Carolina this year passed a six week abortion ban. So that's a pre-viability ban. It's before most people even know they're pregnant. Wait, so what does that mean if they pass that? Does that mean that's... It's it's running through the court systems now. It's currently blocked. If you need an... As of December of 2021, though their bill has passed, if you need an abortion in South Carolina, it is legal. And I want to make sure I say that so that anybody listening to this, if they need access to care, if you need an abortion, it is legal in the state of South Carolina. The state of South Carolina has a lawsuit against them to block that policy from going into effect. It has started through the court system, started here in the state to get blocked, and now has gone to the Fourth Circuit. The Fourth Circuit will hear arguments from our state and from the folks that want to block it, which is Planned Parenthood um, and the Center for Reproductive Rights here. Um, So they will hear that case in January of 22 and then likely utilize the current precedent, which is Roe, which means viability standard Mm -hmm. and hopefully continue to block the South Carolina ban from taking place. Um, But all of us are looking to see what happens when we hear from the Supreme court in potentially June of 2022 Mm -hmm. to hear if there is a new standard, if they've changed the standard, if they've given caveats to the standard, because they're the ultimate decision maker on that. They could like, they could adjust or overturn 50 years of precedent that we're used to in row. And that'll have a lot of implications on the ways that all these lawsuits go in these lower courts um, and the ways that people will introduce additional bans. Um, Yeah. And then there's also a lot going on with what's happening in Texas uh, because of the way they wrote that law in Texas. Mm -hmm. So your listeners should know that um, because they wrote it in a way that allows for civil procedure, that law has been in place because procedurally, no one can figure out who is allowed to sue against the law. Basically, the state of Texas is already living in a place where they don't have the right to an abortion right now. Okay. Wow. And that's wild. So they don't have Planned Parenthood there? They do have Planned Parenthood there and Planned Parenthood cannot uh, provide the the Planned Parenthood is not providing abortions past the six week mark because they could potentially be sued by anyone who knows someone who gets an abortion. It is the most wild vigilante type law. And because they wrote it in such a, a wild way, the courts don't know how to even start taking the case up meaning they don't even know how to start like analyzing it and blocking it. And so for over, oh gosh, I don't know the day count now, but over 90 days, people have not been been able to access abortion in the state of Texas in the way that they need it. And then folks have been traveling to um, the states that are around them and even farther out. So we know that states around them, like Illinois has had a huge influx of patients Mm -hmm. from Texas. Mm -hmm. So that's the other thing we're looking at is, if something happens at the Supreme Court and those of us in the South all have very hostile legislatures, if something happens and we lose the ac- access to abortion, the state will have a country where some states have access and others don't. And even the states that have access 
are going to have to figure out an infrastructure mm-hmm. to handle the patients that they have and the people that we're going to potentially have to try to help send travel to those places. Yeah. Um, uh, that's Which, wild. I mean, just yeah. I know personally I have a woman in my life um, and she was at Planned Parenthood today and she's five weeks maybe and mm-hmm. she can't get her abortion till January 7th. So she'll be about 10 weeks. And, you know, that's just that's in her own state. Right. So it's like how like what you're saying is it'll it will ultimately create chaos and there won't it'll be there'll be a lot of people it'll be underserved. Is that true if that were to happen? That is absolutely true. You're hitting on such a key component um, that I have to remind folks of when they're a little blase about the timeliness of care Right, is that um, because you're dealing with pregnancy, you you can't put off an abortion. It, it is not one of those healthcare procedures that you can like wait on. It, it is you need that care within a few hours, sometimes minutes, hours, if it's a healthcare crisis um, or days or weeks, I mean, and if you, that's, you can. And that's just the physical, I mean, the emotional, yeah. like, and, and I, I think about, I was just texting with her and, you know, she's like, I just, I can't imagine, like emotionally, this is already challenging for her. Right. And I, and I don't yeah. speak for every woman getting an abortion, but I know from my own experience, like that was really, it, I, I wanted the baby and it was very emotional and I was very sad. And if I, and, and the thought of having to fight to have that happen or to have to get on a plane and go somewhere and hope that it would work. I can't even imagine like the emotional trauma that that would have created on top of already the physical stress. Yeah. And like and to point out that um, every pregnancy is different, but pregnancy is a difficult health condition to have. So it's also a good reminder for folks that it, you need to understand that being pregnant for an extra week, two weeks has implications on a lot of things because mm-hmm. you could be getting sick. And if you don't have paid sick days, you're having to show up to work sick. Mm. You are having to go to school sick. It's it, There's a lot of factors that are happening, which is why we're always trying to point out to everyone that you don't know. Every pregnancy is different. You have no idea what's going on in that person's life. And you absolutely should just support what they need. And we need to be breaking down barriers Mm -hmm. because you just truly don't know. And that's just the fundamental. Like if you think, if you want to know what Ren's position is on um, abortion, it's really pretty simple. It's that we need to make sure that everyone has what they need in healthcare including abortion. And every single reason is a good reason. If they need it, then that's what it is. Mm-hmm. I agree a hundred percent. Amen, girl. Um, so that I, I talk to you about that forever, but, um, you just said you had a two-year-old, so I'm sure you're busy. Um, <laughs> um so let's, I'd love to talk about, and, and some of the other topics I believe I was, when I was chatting with JC, as she mentioned breastfeeding at the workplace, things like this. Um, and I know you said, you know, the, 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 the mission is to get, I believe it's mainly women, this care and, and to have, you know, for it to be good everywhere. Um, could you talk a little, is that, is that something you have to do with policy as well? Or is that just advocating with the certain businesses or how does that work? Well, so we actually, so we're five years old and we have had tremendous success as an, or I'm very proud of it. Um, we, um, our first policy that we led through the General Assembly was the Pregnancy Accommodations Act. 
and that ensured that you had the right to reasonable accommodations um, in your workplace, including um, expressing breast milk. So if you were, um, uh, the best example I have is um, sometimes they were not allowing workers, uh, pregnant workers who needed water bottles at their workstations like a simple accommodation, mm-hmm. a, stu- a stool to sit down. If you didn't have a direct employee to point out that they had already allowed the accommodation, Bob didn't need, when he broke his foot, didn't need the stool. So mm-hmm. you couldn't point at Bob, then you could be denied. So we were actually very six, first legislative cycle. We were on two year cycles in South Carolina. We're able to pass the pregnancy accommodations act and um, we were the first in the South to do it. So we led the way. Um, and then we followed up that success with the Lactation Support Act, which ensured the right to break time for those who are expressing breast milk. So no matter where you work in the state of South Carolina, you have the right to take breaks um, to express breast milk. They don't have to be paid breaks, so there's still work to be done on ensuring that there's like economic dignity within that scope of practice, but you cannot be denied that if you are working that you, if you can set breaks to do this. So it, that's amazing. I'm standing in my home office now. I'm looking at the signed bill. I got a copy from the governor as one of the greatest honors to be able to get a signed copy of a policy that you work on. Yes. Congrats. Um, But (laughs) thanks. So, uh, though in the like breastfeeding lactation space, we have done physical state level policies and um, supported the work at the federal level for the uh, Federal Pregnant Workers Fairness Act and the Pump Act to do larger federal protections that would actually do the same things that we have here in South Carolina, Mm -hmm. but now for every state. So every state doesn't have to go through their own process um, to get these rights. So that's awesome. We influence the federal level by leading in the South. And I'm really super uh, proud of that. <laughs> yeah, you should be. That's amazing. I know that when they redid the airport here in Charleston, they put these pods in, these mm-hmm. breastfeeding pods. I've never been in one because I don't think I was breastfeeding when I was uh, flying with my kids. But, um, and I, they, I love them. <laughs> They're like, they just look like these little homes that you can go in. And anyway, um, so let's, what, anything else we haven't touched on? I know I've been kind of specific about my questions. Is there any message? I know a lot of people ask to how they can help. What can they do to support this? Well, so I'm going to touch on, I want one more policy yes, piece to please. be on people's radar because it's very important and also very timely um, because of what's happening at the federal level. So I want to raise it. Um, and that is paid leave. So Ren, one of our key bills within our economic dignity um, policy agenda is paid leave for state employees for the birth or adoption of a child, 12 weeks. Um, It follows the standard um, for state employees that the um, federal government implemented um, in 2020. And so that policy has already passed the House here in South Carolina, 104 to 4, which is amazing Mm -hmm. for a 12 week policy, um, and then needs action in the Senate. And so the Senate, the house and Senate come back into session in January. And so just want to raise that here in South Carolina, we have a bill that could help a huge population of folks get access to paid parental leave, which has just incredible outcomes for maternal health, Mm -hmm. for infant health, but also has strong, um, bonding, um, 
uh, benefits for fathers. So not on, like not only should men have access to paid leave to support their partners who are recovering from childbirth, but the bonding aspect and the like lifelong um, benefits it has to children to have their male figures early on in life mm-hmm. have been well documented. So making sure that paid leave is gender equitable, yes. goes to both parents in the same way um, is super crucial. And our bill does that. Um, I want to just raise that that is happening. And then at the federal level in the build back better package, they have been able to, I mean, it's been back and forth a real slug, but to include a federal um, paid family medical leave policy, I think right now in the package, it's down to four weeks, but to establish a federal standard that gives all of us access to paid leave would be a game changer. We're one of the few industrialized countries in the entire world who does not have one. Right. So it's almost like begging for scraps for four weeks, but four weeks as well is documented that it will still make huge improvements. And it's not just parental leave, it's medical leave. So every single person at some point in their life will either need to take paid leave to take care of someone right. or to take care of themselves. Right. So it, it could be huge. And right now the Senate is... So the House put that paid leave back in that package and the Senate's debating it. And they said that they're going to try to pass it before the end of the year. So if folks want to go ahead and take action, they should be reaching out and um, vocalizing their support for the Build Bad Better package and the paid leave um, policy that's within it. Um, and they can always, if you're listening to this, I listen to things in all sorts of different methods, like when I'm walking or driving or any of that. Um, It's all on our website and our social channels. So anytime you hear something and you're listening to this podcast and you want to do more, Mm -hmm. just go to the REN panels. And we have like, that's part of our mission is to make sure that we make advocacy accessible. So you should hopefully easily be able to kind of connect with your elected officials, understand what you need to do, where you need to click, and we try to make it as easy as possible. Right. That And that, you say so you hit a point too that I meant to ask because I know for it can feel overwhelming. Like, you know, oh, I'm just one person. Why, you know, how do I even do this? But people right. can go to your website and find direct access to the, pe- the, the people they need to reach out to and stuff like that. Absolutely. It's really just one of the core components. And I also really want to vocalize something that I have needed to tell myself a lot as things have become even more tenuous, especially on reproductive um, rights, is that we all have a place in this movement in making our communities better. So if you feel like, oh, I'm one person, I can't do anything, the the ones add up to twos, that adds up to four to five, you, you get where I'm going. Yep. If we're all doing our part, if we're all doing what we can and taking those steps and vocalizing um, and supporting our communities, we become this large just voice, this thing that can't be stopped. So it's not all on one person to make this happen. Right. But please be with the rest of us trying. Right. Because it just makes us stronger. We are stronger together. So I, I say that to myself when I wake up in the morning. Right. I'm not going to fix everything but I sure want to keep trying. And luckily I work with so many people that also are trying that I believe we can do it. So you just need to join us and just do what you can. 
And, and that kind of makes me think about something else. Like, you know, I don't know, I own a few yoga studios. And, um, so I, I think about like the energy of people and we talk a lot about, you know, and I talk to, I have a staff of about 20, mainly mm. women, one, one or two males. And, um, but we talk a lot about, you know, like putting energy in what's working and not, and not, I'm not, and not energy so much like being like, I'm not saying don't be upset. Like if you're not upset at this point, you're not really paying attention. Right. I, that's my belief. But, um, you know, I think sometimes things can get, and I don't want to like, I don't know how to say this the right way without saying it the wrong way. So I think about okay. like people like that will like troll on the internet or troll on Instagram, you know, and, and their, their mission, their heart is maybe in the right place, but it's like their delivery is just so much and so aggressive. Do you have any, what do you guys ever receive any of that or how, cause speaking to you, it's so, like you said, bipartisan, you know, you're, you guys are looking for the betterment of all of the pe of people. Do you have any, do you have any suggestions? I guess I would say to people that feel as though the best way to, to deliver the message, you know, to share in the, in the movement. Oh God. Well, that was loaded with a lot. Of I know. I things. just look, I'm just like, what did I just say? <laughs> The first thing is, yes, we all get trolls. I just want to make sure that I vocalize. Like, yeah, we're, we're all experiencing the trolls. We do not, our rule is you do not engage. Yeah. I'll give you that. Smart. Don't engage with um, trolls. We engage in dialogue, but if it is harmful, we back away. And that's the other portion that I would, I always, I always say, try to have the conversation because if you don't try, you won't know if you could be successful. And I, I say that like with every aspect. I love that. Mentoring somebody. I mean, yes. Just try. The worst thing that could happen is it gets shut down or you just go back to the place where you're at, except for if it is harmful. So you kind of hit on that like some of these conversations can go to a place where it can do harm to you. Somebody mm -hmm. could say something harmful. Somebody could potentially even take it further and do um, harmful things towards you, targeting mm -hmm. you. And I you never have to try so much that you're hurting yourself. So that's my line is that we as Ren always encourage folks to raise their voice, but you absolutely, number one, have to make sure that you're safe, that you feel taken care of. And then if something happens to you, you absolutely can walk away from a situation mm -hmm. um, because you need to be taken care of. So we've done that even just in practice after testifying at a contentious abortion hearing or an anti-LGBTQ hearing, holding spaces where we call it aftercare, mm -hmm. where we have aftercare spaces. Because it's traumatizing to spill out your personal health information, to say that you just want your life to be dignified, to people to treat you with respect and dignity. Like, not even asking for, <laughs> I shouldn't be asking for much, but it feels like it is. Right. Like, we have to take care of each other, so... um yeah. And the other, like the part that doesn't address any of the harm, start small. Uh, sometimes you'll, you don't realize how much folks don't know. And so you kind of have to get them there. Mm -hmm. And that's also part of our method is, is sometimes I repeat just the basics of things to make sure that we're all on the same page. Mm -hmm. It's all about shared values. I, a lot of the times when I'm lobbying, that's the way I lead with messaging Right. Is shared values. I'm not trying to trick anybody. I'm not trying to pressure them. There's no like, 
I'm going to primary you. There's nothing. It is about the policy and the fact that we have a shared value and this policy will achieve that shared value goal. And so that's what I would say to folks as advice of like moving forward in trying to kind of connect with people is in the values uh, messaging and understanding where there's alignment of things. But like I said, if the values don't align and if you are going to be harmed in any way, people are absolutely valid with walking away from toxic situations. Yeah. You don't have to do it. I agree. And that should go be across the board. Anyone yeah. listening? <laughs> yeah. um, so, and then I know some people were also asking, do, can people donate money to the organization? Well, that's how REN is funded. So yes, okay. um, people can absolutely um, donate. Uh, we, you can do that via our website, scren.org slash donate. Um, and your donations go to making sure that we can function and make advocacy easier for everyone. So it goes to ensuring that we have the systems in place that make it so you can contact your elected officials in an easy manner. Like you just put in your address and I pre have already pre-populated which legislator it needs to go to and um, the messages, suggestions of things that you could say, mm-hmm. all of that. Um, and also goes to the building of coalitions. Like we are a convener, a partner builder and so it helps us bring partners together in spaces to hear community voices, to hear from experts and craft that policy that is really going to target and address the community needs. Um, and that pulling people together takes money. So your yeah, donation absolutely. goes to um, goes really well to work. It's just so, it's funny sometimes because folks um, in the nonprofit, we call it putting coats on kids. Sometimes you can't see our work because policy work is a long game, Mm -hmm. but you can see it here at Wren because if you even go to our website, you will see that we are putting out educational pieces. You will see that we've got direct actions for you to take. And if you kind of sit there for two more seconds, you realize that takes a lot of work and time and resources. And so if I'm funding this, I'm helping get this information out to large populations of people. I'm helping make sure that folks know where they can access abortion, how they can have an equal pay conversation with their boss, any of those kind of pieces. Oh, that's awesome too. I didn't think about that piece. So helping people with their own dialogue, with their their own interactions. Yeah. Really cool. Um, well, how can people, and you already mentioned the website, but I'd love for you to mention again, how can people find you guys on social, on the internet, all that kind of stuff? So our website is scwren.org. And then we are on social media on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. It's at Ren Network. So it's not two N's. So W-R-E-N Network (laughs) on those um, social handles. And when you're looking for like rapid up-to-date pieces of information, the social channels are where you're going to get on Facebook. You're going to see a lot of like the event holds of like where we're hosting things or potentially having conversations. Instagram, we try to do a lot of educative pieces. So you'll see slide decks on issues. You'll see videos. And then Twitter, you get those up-to-date pieces of like if I'm at the state house 
actively lobbying and something happens, I will text the comms team and they'll live stream. We'll do that for hearings. Mm -hmm. They'll live text out what's happening. So you don't have to be listening to the stream. You could follow our channels and um, get that um, going. So that's awesome. Well, Ashley, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. I think this is going to be, I know for me, it was very informative. And I think for so many people that want so many of these things, but don't really know where to start. This was a really wonderful conversation for them to get started. So thank you so much for your time. Great. Thank you for having me. 